welcome to the original and the best power hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast. Another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes, no curveballs today. Aaron Rodgers to the Colts. You're the manifesting God. You got to make it happen. You know, like the, the part of the manifestation that it just has to make sense, right? Otherwise, I'm wasting my time. And like Karis LeVert was very feasible, right? Uh, Porzingis to the Mavs. That was really the first one a couple years back. Very feasible. When you get Carson Wentz and like hype him up and then all of a sudden say, hey, by the way, uh, Aaron Rodgers, see ya. I just, I don't know. It's it's a tough one for me to to make work, I think. Well, I respect respect your transparency, but Dylan, frankly, I have no use for it. I, I want Aaron Rodgers on the Colts. You know, listen, we've been very blessed to have great quarterbacks in our time, right? Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, right? I mean, obviously, Andrew Luck was very sad how his career transpired. But Dylan Hughes, a man can dream. You can dream all you want. But as far as making things happen, I just I don't know. And listen, we know Chris Ballard is not the, the make a splash on draft night type of guy anyway. I think I think Chris Ballard's goal is to make Pete not he's his goal is to make people not know who he is because man does that dude never make a splash um I guess Carson Wentz was somewhat of a splash but you know and, and I respect him for it I mean listen they they said Darius Leonard was a reach okay good luck holding on to that one media fuckers Darius Leonard is the best player on this team and I don't care what anyone says about it. Um, and Sam Darnold, the God, yeah, they traded that pick and got Quinn and Nelson, Braden Smith, and a bunch of other guys out of that. So you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna even manifest anything with the Colts because Chris Ballard's got it. <laughs> All right, but wait, why, why, Dylan Hughes, are you manifesting Rondell Moore to the Colts? You know, that that's a tough one. Like I've been I've been thinking about it, actually, because I would love to have Rondell Moore on the Colts, but he's I just don't know if that's like the type of receiver they really need. And I'm still holding on to the last bit of hope that Paris Campbell is going to work out. Um, I just have a fear that Paris Campbell is going to like suck with the Colts because of injuries. He's going to get let go, and then he's going to go to a team I hate and all of a sudden have a bunch of good injury luck and be awesome. So that I know the question had nothing to do with Paris Campbell, but that, that's my Paris Campbell take. But Rondo Moore to the Colts, like, if they're, if the value's there, then yes. Like, if he slips to the bottom of the second round or something like that, which I have no idea where he's being mocked at, but I feel like the end of the second round or early third round would be a nice place to take him if he's there. So, um, in the mock draft that Triple Option Pass released, I'll, I'll go ahead and plug that now. Make sure you check that out. I mean, obviously, we're going to be recording this a couple hours before the draft. So, when this comes out, you will not. Um, <laughs> the first round will have concluded. 
But Ryan and Devin both gave their first round picks. And Ryan Gregory um, had Rondell Moore going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I'll, I'll have to. Oh, wow. I'll have, Devin made this nice little uh, chart. I don't think Devin had Rondale going in the first round. But that's interesting considering the Bucks have a bunch of receivers already. Um, but I mean, he's Rondale Moore is not a typical receiver, so he, he could fit on any team, really. <laughs> Make, I know this, again, this will be releasing the day after the, the first round of the draft, but you can listen and you can see how uh, Ryan and Devin's thought processes lined up with the, uh, lined up with the draft. You know, it's, it's a good time, Dylan. It's a, it's a really good time. You should go check it out if you haven't yet, but let's go ahead and move on to the injuries. I kind of did a, a little potpourri. We're going to kind of just go rapid fire through these. Um, Zach Levine will miss another week. So we might have to talk about pushing the bulls back till the last week of the power hour again. Um, Denny Avdia last week had a season ending injury. That's really sad for him. He was, he was looking okay. He wasn't like breaking the world on fire or anything. Chris Boucher is out indefinitely. John Wall is out for the rest of the season. And Derek White had an ankle injury. I did not even hear about the Derek White thing. And he is out for the rest of the year. Um, Any of those injuries you want to touch on before we move on to our teams for the week? Well, I mean, Derek White is very close to my heart. um, So Sad to see that, but I I want the Spurs to lose, so I guess it's in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's not that bad as long as Derek White recovers fully. But, you know, one thing we never touched on was the Chris Boucher game like a month ago, 38-19, <laughs> and did he have like five blocks too? Like he just had an insane Something like stat that. Line. <laughs> it was probably the most unlikely stat line I've ever seen. I mean, when you guys dropped it in our Twitter chat, and I thought it was a joke. I, like, I thought it was a joke. I went and looked. He had 38 points, 19 rebounds. And we never gave it the proper light. But, like, that that has got to be one of the most unexpected stat lines in, in not just NBA history, but sports history, I think. So, okay. So, 38 points, 19 rebounds, nine of them offensive. Um, one assist, one steal, one block against who could have guessed it? The Chicago Bulls. <laughs> An absolute tire fire since the trade deadline. Who would have thought? Um, Dylan, <laughs> that's a really good point. We didn't touch on that at all. That was one of the crazier stat lines. This season has been wild, okay? Like, Lou Dort dropping 42 points. We had that game that week, so we got to talk about that. This is up there with that. <laughs> just in terms of, like, random guys just doing crazy shit. And, I mean, honestly, Chris Boucher, most improved player award, I think serious candidate for it even if he doesn't play the rest of the year i think he's at like 60 some games or like close to 60 so yeah he played 59 games so i mean 80 percent of the season i mean most i obviously randall's gonna get it but he should probably finish in the top three yeah he's had a good year and and the raptors did like a they did musical chairs at the center position for a while it's like they bring Baines in, they get Len. Did they even get Ken Birch? I never saw where he went. He d- is in Toronto, but he is playing for them. I believe he's making an impact. Okay, good, good. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. And when the, the Raptors somehow shoot back up in the standings next year, I hope Ken Birch is a part of that. Um, but, yeah, Chris Boucher, man, like out of all these centers they've had, he's been kind of the one standout. Um, and I liked Chris Boucher last year too. Like he's just got a very unique skill set, and he's never going to be a starter because he's just so thin. 
I don't think defensively he would hold up for, you know, 30 plus minutes a night on a consistent basis, but you know, occasionally he has those games and apparently 30, 38, 19 is, is in the bag for him. So that's something we'll have to watch out for moving forward. He's a very exciting young player, but speaking of a team filled with very exciting young players, the Minnesota Timberwolves. So they are 19 and 44 good for a second in the lottery odds behind Houston. They are a half a game ahead of Orlando and Detroit and about two and a half games ahead of Cleveland for that second lottery spot. So tight race coming down the, uh, coming down the stretch here for the wolves. They had themselves a week (laughs) this week for the wolves was really good. I'm going to just go back. I'm going to read the last five games. I'm going to do that for all the teams. So they beat the Kings. 134 to 120 last Tuesday. They lost to the Kings again, 125 to 128. They then proceeded to beat the Jazz twice in a row. First time, 101 to 96. Second time, 105 to 104. And probably the dumbest, the dumbest thing Rudy Gobert's done in his career, including touching all the microphones, including that. Um, and then they beat the Rockets, 114 to The last time we had the Timberwolves was the last week. <laughs> Ryan Saunders was coaching the Wolves. Um, just before we get into the team itself, how do you like the adjustments that the new coach, Chris Finch, has made? Well, there's just like a ton of movement. It's it's really fun to watch him now because there's just all these guys running around. Like uh, Josh Okogie is like the role man half the time. Like he's setting a bunch of screens and rolling to the rim and like, there's just a bunch of guys doing very interesting things now. And I mean, it's, it's open, it's opened things up a lot. Um, and, and cat is doing some like different things that are kind of unique and it's, it's been, it's been fun to watch. And, you know, we, we trashed the whole, how, how Chris Finch got in there, just, just firing a coach mid season and having his replacement on deck was not a good look for the Minnesota Timberwolves, but, uh, you know, Glenn Taylor has proven that good looks are not necessary in that city <laughs> for that team. So that's, that's understandable. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we both knew at the same time that that was a great hire because this, uh, the Nick nurse coaching tree is rapidly growing, uh, faster than any tree I've ever seen. Trees usually grow pretty slow, but this one is growing quite quickly. Um, so I, I've liked a lot how they've how they've done things, and you can continue to see that Raptors influence uh, on their team as well. So let me let me give you um, Chris Finch's places in the NBA. So he's only been in the NBA for about ten years, but he was in um, he coached against Nick Nurse in England. They both were in England at the same time, so. Um, his first coaching staff as an assistant was Houston, and he stayed in Houston until the 2016 season. And then his next stop after that was Denver in 2017. Do you know what happened to the Denver Nuggets in 2017, Dylan Hughes? 2017 season? Uh, I forget. That was the first year they unlocked Jokic. Oh, right. Right? And then the next year, he changes locations again, ends up in New Orleans, and that's the team with Boogie and Anthony Davis. Mm. And then that's a team with Anthony Davis at the five, Miritich at the four, Rondo at the one, um, Holiday at the two. And I don't like Quincy Pondexter, I think was playing the three. Quincy Pondexter jumps around the NBA. So, you know, anytime you need to guess who a starting small forward was and you don't know who it was, odds are maybe Quincy Pondexter. 
And then he stayed in New Orleans the next couple of years. And then Toronto this year. And listen, what happened in Toronto this year is no bearing on any coaching staff, no bearing on any players, no bearing on anybody. <laughs> this season in ter- for the Tampa Raptors, t- them playing in Tampa says it all. They don't belong there. And they'll be a lot better next year and sleep in their beds. And once they um, draft deal and Suggs in the top three, um, I'm, I'm manifesting that I'm manifesting that. So, I mean, Finch by all accounts, right. Is a very good offensive coach. And I, I guess that kind of leads me to my first question. just to get that out of the way, has Finch unlocked cat and Edwards? I mean, and Anthony Edwards, they've both been playing phenomenally since the coaching change. Edwards is at 22 points a game. And since Cat's come back, he's at like 26 points a game and 11 rebounds a game. I mean, Dylan, this is probably the best. I mean, obviously, we have a small sample size with Edwards, but this is the best Cat's probably looked in his whole career, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, and I was thinking about this earlier, and, and this will have um, a place in a discussion we have later on as far as centers, but I just think Cat gets underrated because he never has the right teammates. Right. And it's not just about having good teammates. It's about having the right teammates. So, you know, this, he's basically had one good team his entire career, which was the year Jimmy was there. The problem is that they did not have very good spacing back then. When you have Jimmy and Andrew Wiggins on the floor at the same time, it just kind of makes things tough. And that pushed Cat out to the perimeter a lot, which obviously is fine. He's a great shooter. But at the end of the day, he's a seven-foot center that has still built his game around the post. So pushing him out so much, I don't think helped him. But now I think he's got a good balance of, of shooting and other guys that can attack the rim uh, where he can kind of he can kind of do a little bit of both now. And you know, this, the guys on their team are not incredibly talented. Like there's a bunch of young guys out there that don't know what they're doing, but they, they fit cat really well where he's able to, to kind of just do his thing and bounce off other guys and make things work. And there's just a lot of versatility really on both ends of the floor, um, which just allows him to get the best out of him, I think. And I'm excited moving forward to see how this continues to develop because, I mean, like I said, pre-pod, this Wolves team is not very far away from being competitive because as soon as they got healthy, and they're still not completely healthy, Malik Beasley's out right now. Like, they're still not completely where they could be. But ever since Cat and Russell came back, they've they've been good. Like, they're on a three-game winning streak right now, and they've been competitive really for the past few weeks. Um, So I, I think that, you know, it, it's got to be tough for Cat at this point because that organization has just gone through so much turnover in a short time and they've just sucked for the most part. And, you know, the one superstar guy they bring in, he trashes the the team and leaves and well-deserved trashing, by the way. But, you know, that the, the way the Jimmy Butler situation went down proved exactly how worthless essentially that organization is. Like they just, they don't know how to handle things the right way. And, you know, it, it, he, I'm sure he wants out already. And I'm sure when the off season comes, he'll probably continue to want out and whether he'll actually ask for a trade, we'll see. 
but if he hangs in there, I think they're, they're starting to move in the right direction. And, you know, he's, he's really hitting his peak for sure. Uh, I mean, he's been in the league long enough now where, you know, he's, he's entering those prime years. And as far as Edwards, I mean, yeah, I think he's, I mean, he's kind of played the same way all year. Like he's, he's just really chucking at this point and taking the shots he gets, but he's not forcing anything. And, and he just, I just love watching because he has so much fun. Like that jazz game, he was, he, I think with transition got like a really sick dunk and he was just so happy. Like he's like the happiest guy I've, I've seen in the league in a long time. He just really loves the game and, you know, a lot of players get such a big head about who they are because, you know, when you're a top recruit for for four or five years, you just think you're the man, you know, and in some regards you are. And these teams, you know, fluff you up because they want they want to they want to draft you or they want to recruit you. And a lot of these prospects get a big head, but it doesn't seem like that's happened for Edwards at all. Like, I, I think he's he's a pretty humble guy and he has really fun interviews and. He, he just seems like a fun guy and, and you can see it in his game that he just, he doesn't have to be the guy either on the floor. Like he, he just likes to do things the right way and have fun. And, and I, I just really love watching him. And, and I think that, uh, you know, again, there's a lot for him to learn still, but moving forward, I think he's really going to blossom into a star. It, we should say those two wins over the Jazz, Donovan Mitchell is still out. We should give that caveat because I think things might have gone a little differently for the Jazz if, you know, if Donovan Mitchell is playing. But that being said, it's still very impressive what they're doing, like two teams like the the Jazz and Carl Anthony Towns, man. He made a fool out of Gobert this, this week. Like, he really... <laughs> Gobert, I, I'm not saying this lightly. Gobert is one of the best defensive. He's probably, of the last 10 years, he's probably the best defensive center in the league the last, you know, decade of the NBA, right? It's like either him or Tyson Chandler. And he made him look like a goddamn fool just going out to the perimeter on him, right? They were trying to guard Cat with Bogdanovich to use Gobert in the help, and it didn't matter because Cat is a very underrated passer. Like, I feel like we've been saying this all along, but his passing vision is really unparalleled. He is very good at passing. And then, like, I just want to go back. You've been talking about, like, competitive games. I just want to go back and look at some of the games they've won since the All-Star break. So they came into the All-Star break at 7-29. and <laughs> And I think, like, on a, on a nine-game losing streak, they immediately come out and they blow out the Pelicans by 30 which isn't surprising because the Pelicans are prone to do that. But then they've beaten the Blazers. They've beaten the, they've beaten the Suns. They've beaten the Rockets. I mean, the Rockets aren't good. They've hung in, they hung in a game with the Nets. They beat the Knicks. They hung in a game with the Sixers. And like they've beaten the Heat. They've beaten good teams. <laughs> this like, I don't think this is a fluke, right? Like a lot of the times though, like this, is, I know we're in April. But these it's like March essentially in a regular season. The March results can be kind of fluky. But man, I think they're kind of for real. Like I think if this team was this way all season with Finch being there and with Edwards and Cat playing the way they are under him, I think they're better than like Sacramento. I think they're better than I they're definitely better than Sacramento. Sacramento's a fucking joke right now, but <laughs> they're probably better. Hell, 
they're better than New Orleans. They're probably better. Like the defensive talent is just off the chart. And Anthony Edwards, man. Like when people say magnetic players, I don't think that there's a whole lot of players that are actually like your eyes are on them the whole time they're on the screen. I can't take my eyes off of Anthony Edwards when I'm watching him play. He like, even when he fucks up, right? Which is still a lot. He's 19 years old, (laughs) but I mean, man, on offense, he's just like a jitterbug. And I heard someone say on a podcast that his football background has helped him get into the lane because he used to play running back and he could take advantage of those tight little creases. And I think that that's really true. And I think Dylan, he brings a running back skill set to the NBA that there just isn't a whole lot of. Yeah, I mean, if you look at a lot of these guards, they they just have a tough time getting to the rim without like finesse. Really, is what what a lot of these guys work on. And I mean, being a running back, your entire job is making one foot of space work. That's that's your job, and getting past people. Obviously, once you get past the line, but. The NBA, there's a lot of that same thing. It's like if you're a ball handler, you're probably going to get double teams. It's basically going to happen every time. And so you have to get through guys and get through them without losing the ball. And there's a lot of that too. Like the guys that have to force their way to the rim, they lose the ball because they just don't they're, – they don't have strong arms, they don't have strong hands, and they can't really take that beating on the way to the cup. And – I mean, that's – and the thing about Edwards is I think his shooting is going to open that up over time even more where he's not even going to have to use as much strength. He's just going to be able to kill these guys on the pump fake, attack these closeouts, and get to the rim. And, I mean, I've talked about it at length already how important being able to to shoot and attack closeouts is because it just opens up everything. And if you're able to pass two, I mean, you're basically unstoppable as far as scoring. So, yeah, I, I, I'm just looking forward to his future so much. And I don't, I don't buy jerseys. It's just a waste of money to me. But I have a list of guys that I want to have their jersey because I love them that much. And, and Anthony Edwards is on that list. That's, that's incredible for a rookie. That's another question I have. You brought up like kind of the ball handling and the passing. How do you think like, because when we saw him, right, that was the week of that Raptors game where he dunked and, you know, with the Nate Duncan tweet, if you go back a, a while, that, I mean, to show how long ago that was, but like, how do you think like his ball handling has even, his ball handling and passing have even progressed since then? Like, I feel like they've given him a lot of responsibility on offense. And I think that's the way that Finch has empowered Edwards is just to say, here, you run pick and rolls with Cat, you do all this stuff. How, how do you feel like that's progressed? Yeah, I mean, that was the first time we talked about them. That was really where I fell in love with his game because I just didn't know much about him coming out of college, right? Like, I knew he was a good scorer. I know he was an athlete. But, uh, like, last year's draft class, I was probably educated the least out of any class I've ever done. And, obviously, the tournament not happening was a huge part of that because I do a lot of my – scouting and quotation marks through the through the tournament which I think a lot of people do um and we didn't have that last year so I I just didn't know anything about him and you know those first few games watching him I'm like damn like this dude can pass I mean he was he was not only 
passing well, but like he was looking to pass, which a lot of score first type guys you don't see, but he was running a pick and roll really well and making really nice passes out of him and including passes with his left hand. I mean, I, I think I, that, and that's just why I, I just believe in him so much. I think all around as an offensive player, he's going to be a stud because he can do it all. And yeah, I mean, I agree with Chris Finch has unlocked it even more where, and really I think what it comes down to again, as I said earlier, is just the guys that are on the floor and kind of the system. There's just a lot more movement. There's a lot more space and having all that space and movement makes it a lot easier to, to move with the ball too and, and make the right passes. Um, so yeah, I mean, Chris Finch has been excellent for these two guys and, and those are really the two guys you need to be excellent. And I think that's a big reason why they've played so well lately. And it doesn't hurt, you know, to have Russell playing as well he, as he's been since he's come back from this latest little injury that he had. But I think another thing that, like, I like what he's doing with Towns too. What I like that he's doing with Towns, I'll say, is that he's letting Towns basically in a Jokic light role, right? Like, Towns can't do the full Jokic. And we'll talk about that more later. But... He could do half a Jokic, right? And he's a lot better shooter and a lot better, a lot better driver. Like that man attacks the rim hard. He had a couple dunks against Utah that were just like how, like you forget how athletic Carl Towns is because they didn't let him be athletic like that. And I think that's kind of cool that Finch is doing is that he's not just saying, okay, here, you're just going to post up and you're going to shoot threes, right? You're going to handle, you're going to run pick and rolls for us. You're going to, you know, you're going to pop, you're going to roll, you're going to do the offense is more varied for towns. And I think that that's, that's what's unlocking him. Right. And I think now, like even if Finch doesn't stick around or if towns is traded, which I mean, you kind of address, so I don't feel like I need to ask the question now, but like the coach that has him next will know how to use him properly and he won't need to be unlocked. I think this is Carl Anthony towns unlocked. Yeah. I mean, it's for a lot of these guys, it's just about balance. Right. And when you have a team that sucks, balance is tough because you just, you're going to stick him where you think he's most effective and that's it. But when you have a lot of different guys out there that they can do their own thing, they don't need, they don't need towns to sit in the paint all day or just shoot threes or whatever they've been doing with them. You can start to play around a little bit and mix things up. And now I mean, his skill set is so diverse. He can, you know, you could have him, when it comes down to the end of the game, you could stick him out behind the three-point line. You could have him in the post. You could set it up so he he makes a pass to, you know, to a different guy to score. Like, he, he can do anything. And the way this team is set up right now, like, he is doing everything. And, I mean – that's that's what's most important is how how is Carl Towns playing, and you know he's been good his whole career, but they just haven't had enough around him to make make everything work the right way. And now it seems like they they have that they've they've found that common ground where everything can can flow perfectly. So okay, here's a, here's a question for you. We didn't have this on the docket, but we're speaking of unlocking Towns, right? I don't think you sucked on defense in those Utah games. Defense is just to have like that Jaden McDaniels, um, Jonathan Isaac type of guy that's just really long on the back line. 
and can kind of cover up for the mistakes and let him play high in the pick and roll. Yeah, I mean that's that's another thing is, and I think that's almost the biggest thing is is figuring out that McDaniel's is kind of your guy at the four. And when they came into this season, we really doubted that position for them. It's like, is Hernan Gomez their best four? Because if that's the case, then they're in trouble. <laughs> and throughout the season, they've they figured it out. And having Vanderbilt, too, has helped a lot. I mean, Vanderbilt on defense is really fun. And he kind of ruins it because, like, <laughs> there was a play in that Utah game where he made a great play to get a steal. And then he runs down to the under, other end of the floor and misses a layup. You know, I know exactly which play you were talking about with, as soon as you run it up. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, that's why, that's why Jared Vanderbilt and, and I think Josh Okogie does that a lot too. It's like, they're never going to be as good as you want because the offense, they just leave a lot to be desired. But on defense, man, that's, like Vanderbilt and McDaniels are, are so good. And I think McDaniels can be a, a good offensive player too, but having that length, I mean, like I hate to make a uh, Pacers comparison to every, on every podcast, but like, look at, look at what Sabonis has been able to do with Turner at the four, right? Like having that guy next to you that can help cover up your mistakes makes life a lot easier. And you're, you're able to be put in a position where you can, you know, work off your strengths and not that not necessarily that Towns' strength is defending the perimeter or the pick and roll, but he's getting a chance to do it now. And again, it, it's just widening his skill set. And and you know whether whether they stick with this group going into next year or not, because I I still think they probably would benefit from getting someone better at the four. I mean, we talked about uh, a Jeremy Grant trade possibly, and like that would be great for them, I think, but. You know, either way, what what they have now, it, it is showing future-wise how you're going to be able to use Towns on both sides of the floor. This is a team that, if they were um, committed to the uh, committed to the tank, this is a team that would be dying for Evan Mobley. Dying. Oh. This and Cleveland <laughs> are the two teams probably that need him the most. I mean, because I, I, I would play McDaniel's. I think McDaniel's can play the three or the four. Basically, I, I'm very high on McDaniel's, but. You need more front court talent because Hernan Gomez had a really good game against Houston. I don't, I don't know if you watched that game, but Hernan Gomez was showing some stuff on offense, but on defense, he gives it all back. So I think Hernan Gomez will be a, like a bench guy personally. But yeah, I think because Towns isn't that great. I don't think, I think his weakness is lateral quickness. I think that's where he gets tripped up. And then you don't have anyone to cover for his mistakes. Like, again, like you brought up with Miles. I think that was a perfect comparison. You know, you need someone to help cover up for the mistakes. So I think that's, I think we're, we touched everything on the first question, wouldn't you say? Because you kind of brought up the uh, the future stuff. And I, I just don't know at this point. Like, I think that if Cat was smart, he'd want to stay in Minnesota and let the, let McDaniels develop. Because Cat still has a few holes in his game, and I want to see him more with Finch too. But let's go ahead and move on to our next question and say, is Russell as a sixth man the optimal way to use him? And then I'll, I'll save the second part of that question for later. But just is Russell as a sixth man the optimal way to use him? You know, it's funny because I feel like sometimes with these questions, you read my mind 
like when you sent them earlier, I was like, there he goes, because I was watching Minnesota earlier and I'm like, man, like Russell Wilson, or Russell Wilson, Jesus, <laughs> I've got NFL on the mind. Um, but D'Angelo Russell as a six man is just perfect because he's good enough where like he can finish games for you. Like he, he can be a Lou Will type of guy where he's coming off the bench, but if you need points at the end of the game, like he's there. And I think that's perfect for him because he can really do whatever he wants off the bench. Right. Like all of the issues we talk about with D'Angelo Russell don't really matter when he's coming off the bench. Like the fact that he doesn't really get to the rim, the fact that he's not that good on defense, like that stuff doesn't matter if he's playing against, you know, bench scrubs, basically. Like if he's playing against, and I mean, look at, look at that Utah game, Jordan Clarkson. That's exactly how Jordan Clarkson got to this role, right? He wasn't good enough to be a starter. But when he's coming off the bench, he's, you know, a six-man-of-the-year candidate and and one of the best bench scorers in the league. And I, I just think that's a perfect role for Russell, too. And and listen, he's he's well overpaid for that role. I mean, he's going to be making $30 million for the next handful of years. Uh, I think he's got two years left after this, so it's not horrible. But – you know, he's 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 uh, a little bit overpaid for being a six man. But, you know, in Minnesota, that doesn't really matter. They're not really paying anyone outside of cat um, a ton of money. So I, I think it's it's uh, I think that's definitely the best thing for them, because you're, you're never going to hate D'Angelo Russell coming off the bench. He's just he's not you're not going to look at him as a star. And I think that's been part of the issue with his past destinations is he wasn't really doing enough for them. And now that he's coming off the bench, you know, he, he's given you everything you need out of him. I just thought of the perfect comparison for D'Angelo Russell. So there's this guy. He started his career in Atlanta and the, the teams just weren't very good. You know, Atlanta back in this time really, really wasn't that good. Then you got to Dallas and he really started to soar. Who am I talking about? Mm-hmm. Jason, the jet Terry. Think about it, right? It's Terry was not probably good enough to go against starters, especially when he was in Dallas. And but when he was off the bench, like what he did in Dallas coming off the bench, right? So he started his first few seasons in Dallas, right? He started 57 games his first year and then 80 games the next two years. 2007 to eight, he starts to come off the bench, 15 points a game. 2009, 19 points a game off the bench. 2010, 16 points a game. 2011. You may have heard of the 2011 Mavericks, 15 points a game off the bench. And then in the playoffs, in the playoffs that year, he was like, there are so many like almost most valuable players on the the 2011 Mavericks, but 17 and a half points a game off the bench in the 2011 playoffs on 44% from three on like five attempts on four and a half attempts a game, which in 2011 was a lot. And what I'm saying is, that could be the perfect role for D'Angelo Russell. And I understand, right? You're the number two overall pick. It's a lot of psychological stuff that comes into coming off the bench, right? Like not everyone's for it. Like Manu Ginobili wasn't a, Manu Ginobili, I think we can agree, was the greatest six man of all time. Wasn't, was overqualified to come off the bench, right? Like Jamal Crawford probably wasn't overqualified to come off the bench, but, you know, had very elite scoring ability and was, a sieve on defense. So that's why he needed to come off the bench, right? Like there's a lot of different reasons guys come off the bench. 
I think it's, uh, and I'm not saying, you know, it's a character flaw if he doesn't, right? I understand you're getting paid $30 million a year, <laughs> but I think it would be in his best interests to come off the bench because then he could get his buckets. He could have as many shots as he wants, right? There have been times where six men have made all-star teams. So I, I like, I mean, Dylan, I think you can kind of agree with where I'm coming from with like the, the personal side of it. But I, I think that in his, like, if he was looking at it objectively, his best interest is to come off the bench. Yeah. And you know, if, if he was like on the team that drafted him, I think it'd be a different story, but he's on, what is this? His fourth team now. Yeah. So I think he's like, you know what? It doesn't really matter where I was drafted or how much money I make. Like, I could be traded at any time, and I don't want to be the guy that played for one-third of the league. <laughs> and uh, I I don't think um, – from what I've seen, and, you know, we don't know everything, but it doesn't seem like he has a problem with it. And he's having so much success in that role. I think he'd be dumb to not continue to want it. Hold on. You kind of cut out there. Um, were you saying anything after? I think that the thing with Russell is you're right. Four teams. So drafted by the Lakers, then traded to the Nets. I think he was traded for Brooke Lopez, which might be the biggest insult of his career. <laughs> the rest of them are like, you know, whatever. Like for, he got he was in a sign and trade for KD. That's how KD got to Brooklyn. And then last year the Wiggins trade which we'll we'll talk about that in a second because I think if Russell can buy into this role and that keeps Cat happy let's let's just talk about the trade now if that makes Cat happy and he buys into this role I mean Dylan it would like even if the Wolves lose the pick I would say it's kind of like not as bad as it could have been the trade between Golden State and Minnesota The cat thing is something I didn't think about beforehand, and that actually is a big deal because just on the surface, like black and white trade details, losing that pick would make it not worth it. I mean, and listen, like Wiggins has been better in Golden State, and I'm not considering that because we all knew he'd be better in Golden State. It's a better team. It's a better coach. Like it would be crazy for him not to be better. And at the same time, he's not like dramatically better. It's not like he went from being Andrew Wiggins to Kevin Durant, you know, like he's, he's Andrew Wiggins. That's a couple of years older and has better teammates. Like it's, he hasn't gotten that much better. Um, but at the same time, losing that pick could be not catastrophic necessarily, but you know, you would have been better off with Andrew Wiggins and that player than D'Angelo Russell. Right. The thing is, though, and that, I mean, you make a good point, is that the Cat deal, because there's been rumors about Cat wanting to leave Minnesota for years now. And keeping Andrew Wiggins probably would have uh, not helped the situation because Andrew Wiggins sucked in Minnesota. Like, it's as simple as that. And getting uh, Russell, who is friends with Cat and playing well now, you know, maybe that's enough to keep Cat. And, I mean, on the surface of the trade, you lose, right? But if you keep Cat, then, 
you're obviously way better off than you'd be with whoever you get at the four, most likely. So, yeah, it, like Kuminga or Jalen Green or if Hal if Suggs is that four, I don't think you know. Like if Cat stays, that's probably even more important than losing that player because I feel like they already have a good base. You know what I mean? And you can always, you know, get back into the first round, right? Like I don't know their pick situation right now off the top of my head. I don't think they have one currently. Let me check. I think it's on open. So they, if they lose their first round pick, they would not have one, but I mean, that's like, you know, worst case scenario, you have like the 15th pick next year and you, or like somewhere in that range and you just try to recoup whatever. But I mean, you have a potential superstar in Edwards. Like we didn't really even talk about his potential, but Edwards could be like a superstar and you have practically a superstar in cat. Like, I don't think the defense is good enough to say he is a full blown superstar, but he's a superstar talent. And then you have D'Angelo Russell, who's an effective scorer. So I think that there's something there. Like, even if I think that McDaniels pick low key was a huge, like save for them because it gives them a guy with a lot of potential who's already playing well. And even if like, he doesn't reach his ceiling, which I think is very high. The floor is already there. <laughs> so I think that they could be fine in that regard. But if like, if you can add Cade or Mobley or Suggs, right? That's phenomenal. Like you, you want to do that. But if not, like Houston, to me, Houston losing their pick would be a lot bigger deal to them than Minnesota losing their pick this year. And it's really all because of what I've seen the last couple of weeks. Like, yeah, it would be great to add an elite lottery talent. But I think that, like, another team that might have screwed the pooch trading their pick, the Bulls. I think the Bulls might have really fucked up. <laughs> we like the pooch trade, but, oh, man, they just weren't uh, good enough. But we'll, we'll talk about that when we talk about the Bulls eventually. But I, I just – Minnesota's young core is good enough for me not to be concerned about Minnesota as much. Yeah, I mean, again, like I said, they're pretty close to being decent already. And I think they need another player, but you don't necessarily have to get that guy in the draft. And hell, the way things seem to work out nowadays, you can get that guy in the second round. I mean, it seems like every year there's 10 second round picks that have a lot of upside uh, that kind of surprise people right off the bat. So, you know, I, I think I think they'll be fine either way. And I mean, yeah, Houston losing their pick would be a disaster because Houston's prospects right now is, hey, we've got John Wall, who's going to maybe play half a season every year, and Christian Wood, who's very good, but, you know, also missed a bunch of time this year, and who knows? And then that's kind of it, you know? So compared to them, they're they're doing great. Like they – you have – like you said, you got two guys that are superstar talents and then a bunch of young talent around them, so – Either way, I, I think they're fine. But, man, if they could add one of those top guys, they would – I think they'd shoot up the standings pretty quick. Yeah, I, I would agree. Like, because adding more elite talent is never a bad thing. We saw that in Golden State. Oh, well, there's only one basketball. Edwards and Cat play well enough off the ball. I think well enough to accommodate Cade or Suggs. 
So we'll, we'll see, but that's actually a good opportunity to transition to our last Wolves question. And I think we can kind of go rapid fire on this one a little bit, but how many of the teams non-star young players stick around in the future? So I put down Vanderbilt, McDaniels, Beasley, Akogi, and Reed. And we can kind of go through these one by one. I think you love all five of these guys, but you can't keep all of them Dylan Hughes. So let's start with, let's start with Jared Vanderbilt. A personal favorite of mine, and I, I think I liked him a lot more the first time, and you, I think you've caught on this time. So, Jared Vanderbilt, is he a key piece to your future? We could add Wancho Hernan Gomez to that, too, because he's he's relatively young. So, Dylan Hughes, Jared Vanderbilt, keeping him or not? I mean, I'm not just dumping him, but if there's a trade out there, yeah. Like, what, what I'm – I'm just going to talk about the whole group here at once – I think you could get away with keeping all these guys, but I think the more likely situation is you probably trade two of them for someone that's a little bit more reliable. Like I think Beasley might be the most disposable and not because he's the worst, but because you're, you could put him and Vanderbilt together, for example, and get someone like Jeremy Grant. Maybe like, maybe you got to throw in mm. a little bit more, but I think you, cause Beasley makes a good amount of money. Like he's, he's enough to trade for, you know, a big contract. He's close enough. You know, you package him with one or maybe even two of those other guys and you know, you've, you've got something. So, and and at the same time, they've played pretty well without him this year. Like, I don't think he's necessary and listen, he's, he's an awesome shooter. And he's not very expensive. Like he makes a lot of money, but he's not overpaid by any means. So if you keep him, that's great. Like I think you could slide him right back in and be happy. But if you can make a move to maybe get someone better at the four, uh, I think I think you should do that. And the same thing with a Kogi. Like I like a Kogi. I think he could be, you know, a Marcus Smart type of guy in the future, but. If you if you can package him him and some stuff together to get someone better, you do it. Like I, really, the only guy I would I would like to keep is McDaniel's. I think he's got the highest upside. Um, like that, I'm not going to say he's untouchable at all. Like it, again, if you can trade for someone better than him, then do it. But he's the guy I think I would if I had to pick to protect someone, that would be the guy. Um, but I mean, I, I like all these guys and they fit in well. And like, there's, there's no issues really with any of them. I think they, they all have their, their strengths and weaknesses, but like Nas Reed is just a very unique backup center. And I mean, you can definitely upgrade over him. Like back backup centers are not guys that you're just calling home about, but I, I like Nas Reed and, um, so I think you can make a case for keeping all these guys, but at the same time, none of them are that good where like you're going to really make it a hard time to get rid of them. I, okay. I'm not saying McDaniels is untouchable, but I, first of all, I need to see another year, right? I think it's a, a fair request, but once I see the other year, you're going to have to give me something really good to get Jaden McDaniels, right? Okay, so here's here's a fun lineup for you, Dylan. All right, so D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, Josh Kogi, and Carl Anthony Towns. Now, this has only played 107 possessions together, you know, obviously, because those guys, a lot of health issues on the Wolves this year, right? 
and not really great offensively. 112.1 points per 100 on offense. They allow 101.9 points per 100 on defense. And that is all because of Okogi and and McDaniels. Like those two, McDaniels changed the Jazz game because those closeouts he had, they were like three possessions in a row. One on Conley, one on Ingles, and one on Bogdanovich. I probably, I definitely messed the order up. But he just disrupted all of their three-point attempts. You know that Jazz love to chuck it, right? Speaking of chucking from the Anthony Edwards segment, they love to chuck from outside. And McDaniels disrupted all of them. And another thing I heard on a podcast, Dylan, is that Jaden McDaniels has probably been one of the 30 best defensive. I think Lowe might have said it. He's been one of probably the 30 best defensive players in the league this year. And, like, you watch him on defense, and he's just all over the fucking place. And that's the kind of guys you need in the league, right? Like, I... They're luxuries, not like, not not trivialities. I'll say there is a word. So I really like Jaden McDaniel's, but the rest of them, yeah, I could agree. Like you could probably get something nice for Beasley, especially the way he played this offseason. Here's here's a fun trade for you. <laughs> Why not package three of those guys together? <laughs> so let's just say you package Vanderbilt, Akogi, and let's just say. Wancho for Marcus Smart. <laughs> you get the better Marcus Smart. <laughs> I don't know if the Celtics would do it, but you get like 70, you get like the dollar store version of Marcus Smart and Vanderbilt and Wancho. You'd be a lot better already. Yeah, the Celtics, I don't know. Because they've apparently turned down some good trade offers for Smart before. And like just knowing Danny Ainge, this is the fuck Danny Ainge part of the podcast that we really should have every week. I think we'll have to figure out how to work it in in the future even more. But like he's going to overvalue his guys every time. Like he has to win every trade. And guess what, Danny? It's not helping you win. So maybe you should start figuring something else out. But yeah, I mean, Marcus Smart, man, you could put him on half the teams in the league and he'd be great. I wanted the Suns to get him the other year so bad when he was a free agent. And, you know, they got Chris Paul, so it's fine. But wouldn't a Marcus Smart and Devin Booker backcourt be amazing? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. It wouldn't be as good as Chris Paul and Devin Booker, but, I mean, <laughs> when he was a free agent, that would have been probably the best alternative. <laughs> yeah, I was so upset it didn't happen because it was like it made so much sense that I can't believe it didn't happen. Because at that time, the Suns needed a point guard so bad. And, like, I know Marcus Smart really isn't even a point guard. But, like, him and Booker would have been fine together, I think, with kind of having two combo guards out there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it was fun to think about. And I, I'm happy the Suns ended up getting Chris Paul now. But having Smart on this Wolves team would be uh, quite a treat it would be a fuck Danny Ainge, a sentiment I can very readily get behind. But I think we're ready to go ahead and move on to the Clippers, unless you have any last Timberwolves thoughts. Nope. I am done with the Wolves. All right. So let's go ahead and move on to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, or <laughs> the LA Clippers. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how this day is going for me. So last five games for them. So they beat the Wolves. 124 to 105 on um, April 18th. They beat the Blazers 113 to 112 during actually I'm going back six games. Well, fuck it. I'm already started. So 113 to 112 during Blazers week. We watched that game. 
Um, they beat the Grizzlies 117 to 105 in Jaron's first game back. They beat the Rockets 109 to 104 in a game that's a lot closer than it should have been. <laughs> um, that was the last John Wall game of the year, I believe. So that explains that. They then lost to the Pelicans, one of the more confusing losses of the year, 103 to 120. And then they lost the Suns last night, 109 to 101. Dylan, the Suns game last night was very entertaining. I don't know if you if you caught that game. Yeah, I did. I mean, these Suns, man, I, it feels like they've won 30 games in a row. Like, they're just killing it right now. I, I just love this Suns team so much. We've been talking about them all year. Like, half of our favorite players in the league are on the Suns right now. I mean, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, like – and they didn't even have Sarge last night. They didn't have um, Jay Crowder, which, you know, I think that's pretty even with Kawhi and, and Beverly being out, basically the same thing on both sides. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a fun game. And, you know, I, I, I sadly had to view it from the Clippers point of view, but I couldn't help myself, but, uh, but enjoy the, uh, the Devin Booker show, if you will. It was the Devin Booker show. He was fucking ridiculous last night, but we're not here to talk about the Suns, unfortunately, as much as we may like to. We love, I'd say we love the Suns more than any other podcast. That's probably a lie. More than most, the majority of podcasts. Our first Clippers question. If the Lakers have health issues, are we sure the Clippers aren't the favorites in the West? I mean, they've been, I mean, obviously we were talking pre-show about how well the Nuggets have been playing the last two months, but I mean, the Nuggets lost their biggest matchup advantage against the Clippers and Murray. I know obviously Jokic is the biggest matchup advantage, but Murray took it over the top and Kawhi's missed nine of the last 10, right? It hasn't like for health, his health perspective wise, it hasn't been great the last like two weeks, two or three weeks, but he's been healthy most of the year. Like he's at 40 some games. He's not, it's not like he's missed, you know, half the season. He's going to have played like two thirds of the season. So Dylan, how do you feel about the Clippers in the Western Conference? I definitely feel better about them now than I have in the past. And part of that is Paul George related. Like Paul George is really the difference maker. I mean, it's just the past two years, the way he's played. And I know it's been injuries. Um, like he's been good in the playoffs before these injuries. So it's not like he's sucked in the playoffs his whole career. Like when he was with the Pacers, he was really good in the playoffs. Like he was good enough to get the Pacers to the Eastern conference finals. But if he's healthy, it's tough to say they're not probably the favorite. Like I still go back and forth between them and Denver because like, yes, losing Murray really sucks. And I think with Murray, they, they would have not only been the second best team in the West behind the Lakers, but, I, I think they would have had a chance to even beat the Lakers. Um, and, you know, that taking him out of the rotation really sucks. But I still think they're really good now. Like, I'm not going to say Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. are even close to on the level of Kawhi and PG, but them playing off Jokic, like Michael Porter Jr., I know, like, I, I still don't want to trust him. But God damn, that dude has some awesome games. And it's mostly because of Jokic. So, you know, if you're just talking head-to-head matchups here, like you got to give a ton of attention to Jokic, right? And he's a seven-foot dude that can pass. So if you double-team him, it doesn't really matter. Like he's going to make great passes either way. 
And when you have awesome cutters all around him, it's just hard to defend that. So, like, you know, on the face, the Clippers have more talent. But and, – and Kawhi is still better than Jokic. But, like, Jokic is just at a point where it's like I don't want to doubt him anymore. I don't care who's injured on the team. Like, that dude is going to give them a chance every year, every series. And I, you know, I still may say the Clippers are the better team, but gosh, like I, I just can't quit Denver right now. And, and, and until I see it, like, I, I think I'm just going to say they're neck and neck right now. Denver, it just keeps racking up injuries, man. Like, Bart, we don't, we didn't talk about them cause they're not going to miss like the rest of the season or whatever, but Barton and uh, Morris are both out with hamstrings right now. And they're, you know, it's, it's really hamstrung the Nuggets. <laughs> I like this is the thing with the Clippers, right? They just look different. Like I, it's weird, right? Like, but they're attacking the rim a lot more. And Zubak and Paul George. Paul George tries to find Zubak like so many times on that lob <laughs> going to the rim. But I'm looking at the uh, shot locations for the Clippers right now and cleaning the glass. Eighty-four percent of Zubak's shots are coming at the rim which is probably too low for him, obviously. But I think that, okay, 15% are short mid-range. So basically all of his shots are coming within 10 feet. But I think that they're attacking the paint more. They're cutting more, right? PG is really get, is better about getting to the paint the last couple of weeks than he had been the last really, God, since he was probably in Indiana, right? Like, I don't feel like he's attacked the rim this hard. And like, he's not even... A, attacking the rim that much only 27 percent of his shots are coming at the rim but that's the 45th percentile and like Batum's in the 33rd percentile Kawhi's in the 35th percentile right Kawhi obviously shoots majority of his shots in the mid-range but the fact that this team is just attacking the rim more and their shooters are all elite like the worst shooter they play is probably Terrence Mann but Reggie's Jackson's been shooting really well um, Kawhi is obviously an elite shooter. Paul George is an elite shooter. Marcus Morris is very good. Um, Pat Beverly is very good. I mean, like this whole team just plays shooters. They got really good shooters. And I think that that could make the difference. Like if they attack the rim enough and get to the paint enough and break down the defense enough, Kennard, very good shooter. That's basically his, his game. So I think that this team, I think that they could break down a team enough four times out of seven to get out of the West, I don't know. The Suns are going to be a tough matchup for them. And obviously, yes, Kawhi was hurt last night, but I think the Suns match up with the, the Clippers pretty well. But I I think that would probably be my most anticipated Western Conference series is the Suns-Clippers. I think that those two teams match up very well. But, I mean, Dylan, I think that they could do enough just to get to the finals. Yeah, the shooting is an important point. Like on that Suns broadcast last night, they were talking about how the Clippers lead the league in shooting percentage at like 41.7% from three, which is nuts, you know? And if if everything stands as is right now, I think they would have the most three-point shooters to like shoot above 40% on the same team in league history. It was like six guys that are like shooting on shooting at a good sample size and making over 40%. I mean, Marcus Morris is shooting like 48% from three this year, you know, and as the third best guy on the team, like that's not surprising. Like look at what Joe Harris has done in Brooklyn. I think it's 
I haven't checked his numbers in a while, but he was shooting 50% from three for like the first half of the year. And I don't imagine it's dropped much from there. So when you are playing off two superstars, you can get whatever shots you want. And that's what Marcus Morris has done. And it's kind of funny. Like I was thinking about this, how Marcus Morris is probably the worst third option on a team that I've just trusted for no reason. Like he just, he's, he's like not even near, like we talk about all these teams out, out East, right? Like, you know, Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton, whoever you want to say is the third best player on that team. Like, it's like they needed that guy to get over the top. And Brooklyn, obviously, is does not even really fair. Like, their third best guy is fucking Kyrie Irving. And I guess Phillies would probably be Tobias Harris. But it's like these guys that are, like, the third best player on finals contenders are, like, basically all-star level guys. Mike Conley. Get, yeah, Mike Conley, exactly. And then you go to the Clippers, and it's like, yeah, Marcus Morris, man. Like, he only scores 14 points a game, but he's just awesome. I don't know. I just trust him for some reason. And I think part of it is because of last year in the playoffs when PG sucked. Like, he was the guy stepping up and making shots. And at the same time, like, he's a pretty good defender, too. And when when they're completely healthy, so obviously Kawhi's hurt, but they also don't have Ibaka or Beverly. And I think those guys are both pretty close to coming back. Um, I mean, by the playoffs, they definitely should be back. So when they're able to round that lineup out, um, I I do think that they're going to be pretty damn good. And, you know, I don't know if I want to back off my Mavericks take yet, but a healthy Clippers team definitely, I think, has the ammunition to get pretty far. And I mean, like, so, okay, I pulled up the Mavericks roster, or the Mavericks roster, the Clippers roster. <laughs> I've been doing that a lot today. So, Morris is at 47% from three. Kennard's at 46%. Reggie Jackson's at 43.8%. Paul George, 42%. Beverly, 41%. Um, Terrence Mann and Amir Coffey are not shooting enough to really make this list. Um, Batum, 40.8%. Kawhi's at 39%. So, you're right about the three-point thing, where they're just all, pretty much all dangerous from out there. And I think that, you know, you make enough threes. I mean, you trust this team to make threes more than you trust Utah, right? Like you trust, you know, Batum more than you trust Royce O'Neal, right? Like, am, am I fair to say that? We love Royce O'Neal, but I, I think it's just safe to say, you know, I've seen Batum more and more. I, I guess Batum has been really bad in the playoffs before, but Marcus, you brought it up with Marcus Morris last year. Marcus Morris ain't scared of shit. <laughs> he is going to step up to the plate no matter what. Consequences be damned. And it's just like this team to me, it's so deep, right? Like they're, it's ridiculous how much depth they've added. And it's not like great depth, right? Like, it's not like, you know, I'd rather have the sun's depth, even though campaign, but like, that's probably it in the league. Like they're not all splashy names, but they're all guys that could really help a team. And I think that that's the element that we have in this team. And I'll, I'll just go ahead and go on to my next question, Dylan, which is, did this team add enough high IQ vets to offset their lack of shot creation? So we all knew like, oh, this team needs shot creators. This team needs shot creators. Well, they didn't add like one, right? But they added they added a Rondo. They added DeMarcus Cousins. They added Nick Fatum, right? Like all these guys are very, very well known. I mean, Boogie's known for a lot more than that, but they're all known for helping with their passing. And Dylan, I feel like it's made a little bit of a difference. Yeah, I mean, the Batum addition alone was 
I think it's paying a little bit more dividends than they actually expected. But I mean, he's been he's been like exactly what they've needed this year. And like, you know, you can't rely on him to do a ton, but he's he's always been a good passer. And it doesn't really matter how old you are. That stuff doesn't just go away. A lot of guys actually get to this point in their career because they're good passers. It doesn't matter whether they can shoot. I mean, hell, look at Marcus Saul. That dude can barely do anything on offense anymore, but he's still a good passer. So he's he's keeps getting contracts. And I mean, you could even say the same thing about Rondo. Like Rondo passed his peak like eight years ago, and he's still in the league because he's just really good at getting the ball to guys. And when they made that trade, I mean, I, me and you both thought it was perfect for both sides. Like Lou Will has been really nice in Atlanta because it's just a better fit. And, you know, it's just kind of hard to quit Rondo because look at what he does every year. I mean, going back to New Orleans, everyone thought that that was such a dumb move for them to get him, right? But what happened? It unlocked Drew Holiday off the ball, and it made Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins for before he got hurt. Uh, it made getting the ball to them a lot easier, and those guys were able to shine too. Then he goes to the Lakers last year, and – you know, me and you were searching for the third best player on that team for the whole year. And, you know, we never really found it still. It was just a bunch of guys at different times. But Rondo, at least in like the first series, the playoffs was or the first two just was awesome. Like he he just like playoff Rondo is a real thing. Like he just he kind of saves his big, important stuff until the playoffs. And that's when he really shines. And you know, they don't – the Clippers don't need a ton from him, but I just know that when we get to the playoffs, he's going to give them enough. And, you know, he, he just kind of always underwhelms in the in the regular season. Like, you know, from a game-to-game basis, you're not seeing a ton of stuff from Rajon Rondo. But we know when he gets to the playoffs and when it's time to get down to business, that's when he's really going to shine. So those two alone, I, I think, have really been enough to, to help take the pressure off of Kawhi and Paul George. And we we didn't mention Serge Ibaka when we was, when we were mentioning those veterans. That's because Serge Ibaka hasn't met a shot he hasn't liked. <laughs> All seriousness, like you know, just having vets helps. And I think that the Rondo thing, I really think they should be closing games with Rondo. Like you, Reggie's been playing really well, and he shut me up since the last time we had the Clippers. Right? Like I'm not gonna deny that he hasn't. We'll talk about that more in the playoff rotations, but. I think that Rondo should be closing games for them just because he was really good against Phoenix last night. Like really good, especially in with like, they took him out with four minutes left. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was watching the game live. I don't watch a whole lot of these games live anymore, but since it was on ESPN, I was just like, screw it. So I turned it on and I just, I felt like he should have finished the game because he was the best guard on that team. Even though Reggie was playing really well last night. I just feel like, he brings a, a level of vision that this team just hasn't had before. Like a lot of easy dump off passes, right? Like a lot of easy, you know, he really, Zubak would really benefit from playing with him. And then I think Zubak would really benefit from playing with him. And then, you know, Kennard and all those guys, but PG and Kawhi would benefit from playing with him too, because he could get them easier shots. This is what we've been saying about the Clippers for a while. They need to get easier shots. And PG's been doing really well getting the team and creating while Kawhi's been out. But in the playoffs, they can kind of take that away 
or if he's if he's fully healthy, they might not be able to take it away. But I, I need to see it in the playoffs first. But I think that Rondo could help get them easier shots. Yeah, like it's just funny because PG and Kawhi have been good creators for years. It's just everything around them slows down when they just dribble the air out of the ball, trying to get their own shot, right? And I think PG PG has actually gotten pretty good at creating for others too, but he's still naturally a scorer, and like he's just always going to look for his shot first. And having a guy like Rondo that's just so selfless, like that dude almost never looks for his own shot. And, you know, it, it just allows these other fringe guys to get a lot – more opportunities and again like you said a guy like Zubach and man like every game I watch I just love Zubach I don't care if he puts three shots up or not like every time he gets the ball I'm excited because I know he's going to score and a lot of times he's throwing down like a sick dunk too like that dude does not dunk lightly he is throwing that bitch down and it's really fun to watch um and hey if you're seven feet tall why not you know make a show out of it but and he's like he is so good at getting post position too. I think I think he's really underrated. Like, you know, he's obviously not you know a top ten or fifteen center really, but I feel like he gets post position easier than most centers in the league. I mean, you if you watch these games, these centers are jockeying at all times. Zubac just seals the guy, and the guy has no chance of of getting him out of the way. And when you have a passer like Rondo that's played with really good big men his whole career, I mean, he's he's going to find that guy down low. And when you have someone like that really in the game, it's going to help on defense too. So that's – I definitely think that's huge because we know what PG and Kawhi are going to bring to the table, but Rondo is going to help everyone else get more involved as well. Yeah, I – I think that's the perfect way to say it. A Zubak, by the way, really good game against Aiton yesterday. Aiton's been playing out of his mind, but I felt like he held his own. And that's saying something, right? Like Zubak, he's like, I feel like people always forget how young he is. He's all, I don't think he's 24 yet. <laughs> he's wow. been in the league for a while. I want to like, I feel like he's been, he was in LA or the Lakers for a while. He's still in LA. I, he's really coming into his own and I'm really glad to see the development he's really been i he wasn't bad last year but he wasn't this good last year <laughs> so i really want to see the continued development and the defense from zubak isn't bad either i think that the center issues were solved internally thank god <laughs> i i like serge Ibaka and i will, i want to see that center rotation in the playoffs because i think that could be elite right like i think we know serge can just you know really help a team out a lot but I want to see that more in the playoffs. Let's just let's just go ahead and move on to the last question, the playoff rotation. So, Dylan, what would your playoff rotation be for the Clippers? Would you cut it down to eight? Would you play 10 guys? What, what would you do? So, okay, so you're probably going to have a starting lineup of something like Beverly, Batum, George, Kawhi, and Abaka or Zubach, like whatever just kind of feels right. And then after that, I think you got to have Rondo, Mann, and Morris out there. Um, and then that's kind of it. Like, I, I hmm. think I think you're probably okay with nine guys. Um, the thing is, like, Reggie Jackson is not going to sit the entire playoffs. He, he's going to get in there. And I think even Kennard could, too. It's just consistently 
I think you're okay with those top nine. And then it's the thing with Reggie Jackson is he makes a lot of dumb mistakes, but he, he's a shot maker. Like no one can deny that. That dude makes some really, really tough shots. And he really has his entire career, even going back to Oklahoma city. Like he, he can make tough shots and he can make them in the playoffs. Um, You know, he, he bricks some shots too. Like that's just the Reggie Jackson experience. And that's why I don't think you can consistently have him in there, but he's going to get hot at times. I mean, look how he's played lately. You know, he has stretches where he's really good. So I think he's probably going to end up seeing the floor and hell. I mean, like the way Terrence Mann plays, he, he can be shaky at times too. And if, if he kind of gets shaky, then Reggie Jackson's probably going to get in there and just play next to Rondo or something like that. So I, I don't think, I don't think you're going to see consistent lineups. I think there's going to be some mismatching, but I mean, like you said earlier, the, the depth there is going to allow them to, to play a lot of different types of lineups. Okay. So here's, here's my take. All right. So I think Reggie is definitely starting and here's why you're an interesting comp for you. Okay. And not like player comp, but like, player personality comp. There's a guy that Ty Lue coached in Cleveland who came in and he had a lot of, you know, questions around his consistency of his play around, you know, like his personality, that guy's name, J.R. Smith. And J.R. Smith started basically every finals that they, that Ty Lue was there in Cleveland. So maybe Ty Lue just gets something out of these guys that other coaches can't, right? Like maybe that's a possibility where, I mean, J.R., we can all agree. We watched J.R. Smith's career. He didn't play as well anywhere. Well, with maybe exception of like one Denver year, he didn't play as well anywhere as he played in Cleveland. Like he was a three and D guy. He was bought in entirely. And maybe Tyloo just has a language. So I'd probably start Reggie Jackson. I'd probably start um, Morris and then Kawhi, George and Zubak. And that would be my starting five. And then Batum, Rondo, Terrence Mann. Terrence Mann is not. <laughs> he is definitely playing playoff minutes. And then Beverly. You're right. They have. They have. Now they have too many point guards. <laughs> but maybe you bring. You keep Morris on the bench to have him play the four off the bench, and then you play Rondo, Beverly, and then Terrence Mann at the three, and then Abaka at the five. But then I, I would think that if you cut somebody out of the rotation, it would be Kennard over. I would cut Kennard before I cut Mann out of the rotation. And I wouldn't have said that six months ago. I think Terrence Mann has earned his way into the rotation. And he's, he's playing out of his mind, Dylan. Like the way the energy he plays with, like the way he attacks the rim, they don't have a whole lot of that on this roster. Like it doesn't like energy period. But I think that, I think he's a really important piece for their team. Yeah. And you saw it last night. Like he, he's not always going to be a stat stuffer. But he's the guy that scrambles around for all the loose balls, and he's going to grab some offensive rebounds and um, hit some open threes. And again, like he's not perfect. The last time we talked about him, I was pretty upset. Like he just he he makes some stupid plays sometimes. But like that's that's kind of just how bench guards are. Like they they're not all perfect. They all have their issues. But I definitely think just the energy that he brings is important for them. And it would be pretty fun to see him and Beverly share the court at the same time. And, and, and honestly, like maybe it would be better to start Jackson because 
I just, Beverly just does not offer creation really at all. And he would actually be pretty good with someone like Rondo, I think, because you're going to have good defense and he's just going to be able to space out and help Rondo even more. Like if you have Rondo, Beverly, Mann, and Morris on the floor at the same time with any of those centers, like your defense is going to be pretty damn good and you're going to have a decent amount of spacing too. So, and obviously you're not, you're never going to play a full bench lineup in the playoffs anyway, but like being able to have any of those guys out there around Kawhi or PG, um, like you're going to do pretty well and you're going to be able to hold up against any lineup really. So I, I think they're set up pretty well for the playoffs. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a, that's a good note to move on to our last team of the week, which is the Philadelphia 76ers. We didn't say our teams at the top, which we usually do, but that's okay. Well, it'll be in the episode description. So if you're listening to this, you'll know which teams we're talking about. The 76ers, they were, they had a strange fucking week, man. <laughs> like really weird. So the last five games. So they lost to the Suns, 113 to 116. And uh, Dylan, if Joel Embiid hit that shot, is that the greatest shot in the history of the NBA? Man, that's tough. There's a lot of tough shots hit that have been hit, but it would be up there for sure. Just in terms of like sheer difficulty, let's just say. In terms of sheer difficulty, it has to be like in the top three. Yeah. But hey, if anyone could do it, it's Embiid. He's hit some pretty nuts shot in his career. <laughs> that is true. So they then lost the Milwaukee Bucks 117 to 124 in a game that was not that close while we were talking about the Milwaukee Bucks. So I, I think we kind of I kind of manifested that one, I'll say. And then they got their shit kicked in by the Bucks again, 132 to 94. And then they beat the Thunder 121 to 90. And then they destroyed the Hawks last night, 127 to 83. Bogey didn't play, Trey didn't play. I don't think Capella played. So really, um, the Hawks, they were going to lose regardless. So um, Dylan, really bad. Let's just, before we get into our big picture questions for the Sixers, really bad week for us on the power hour for the 76ers. Yeah, man, we, we had no good options. And I feel like we've had a pretty good year as far as luck. So I think this was probably due for us to just have a bunch of garbage to sift through. But luckily, we pretty much know who the Sixers are anyway, so we didn't really need to see that much. (laughs) That is fair. I forgot to read the record for the Sixers. I believe I forgot to do the same for the Clippers. So let me go ahead and read the Clippers record real quick. They're 43 and 21. They're third in the West. And the Sixers are 41 and 21. They're second in the East. So the Sixers are rolling high. They've been they've been great all season. But um. Dylan, is Ben Simmons the most important player in the league? They've really, I feel like they've really struggled without Ben Simmons this year. I mean, they lost that Warriors loss was without Simmons. They lost the Suns loss was without Simmons. Obviously, the Bucks and the, um, the both the Bucks games were losses. And then they, he comes back, and I know it's the Thunder and the Hawks with the depleted roster. But Dylan, they blew out the teams when Simmons came back. So I, I just, I come to the conclusion that Ben Simmons is the most important player in the league. Well, listen, I think you already know my answer to this, considering I had him as my, on my second all-NBA team about a month ago. But listen, the dude is a fucking quarterback, okay? If Tom Brady's not playing on the Buccaneers, I don't think they win the Super Bowl. I know that's that's a hot take, but you take the quarterback off the field and all of a sudden it's a different story. And you take the quarterback off the 76ers and look what happens, all right? Yeah, they got the superstar wide receiver and Joel Embiid. He's going to make a lot of plays, but 
you got to have the ball, the guy to get the ball to him. And I love shake Milton, but the dude runs a pick and roll and just runs downhill and figures it out from there. Like he's not creating a ton of offense like Simmons is. And I talked about it early earlier in the year that this is really the most comfortable. I think Simmons has been with running offense. Like, he, he kind of figures out what he wants to do before he even gets across the half-court line. He starts to see the guys ahead of him start to get in their corners and do what they want to do, and Simmons just kind of figures it out, and I think he's maybe become like this because he knows he's not he can't shoot. And a lot of these point guards that can shoot, they'll just kind of slowly make their way up and run a pick and roll and figure it out from there. But Simmons doesn't have that ability so he's not going to really wait for for the defense to catch up he's going to do the best he can to take advantage of the space before everyone's set and i mean he's just so smart at at setting these other guys up and with as much spacing as they have now it's it's pretty easy for him and he's he runs he runs probably more side pick and rolls than any point guard in the league like he he kind of sprints to these corners and sets things up out of there instead of working out of the top of the key um, which just makes the floor tougher for the defense to 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 defend. So, I mean, it's it's been pretty obvious this week, and you know they almost beat a really good Suns team without him, and that was a pretty fun game to watch. Um, but you know, it's it doesn't really matter that he doesn't score a lot of points or or shoot. Like he he is incredibly important to what the 76ers do. Yeah, and I, I looked up the record because the game logs on Basketball Reference have the records of the players, too. So, like, you know, the 76ers are 41 and 21, but when Ben Simmons plays, they're 36 and 14. <laughs> like, that's good for a 720 winning percentage, Dylan. <laughs> they, they're really – Simmons is really good, This the Simmons guy. But, yeah, I think that <laughs> – quarterback is a good way to put it, but he's also like their, I think more importantly, he's their middle linebacker, right? You know, to borrow uh, a guy that I grew up watching, you know, I, I was a, I'm a Colts fan. If you pay attention to this podcast network, but I grew up watching the bears because the bears were on every week. And I, what I, all, the guy I always heard about Brian or right? Brian or lacquer linebackers are basically the quarterbacks of the defense. So, and obviously we both probably agree. I, I don't know actually if we agree on this. I think Simmons is the defensive player of the year. I think he's been far and away the best defensive player in the league this year. And they need him. <laughs> Their defense is basically predicated around him. And Bede can't guard in space like that. And they don't have any other guys that are capable of guarding like that. So Embiid's a great defensive player, but he's not on the level of, you know, <laughs> he's on a level of Simmons. Hell. I would have Gobert or a notch above Embiid on defense. You know, maybe that's just because Embiid does so much on offense, but they need Simmons. I think the defense for me is more important than any other aspect of Ben Simmons' game. Yeah, that too. I mean, he's he's just insane on defense. And that's what makes the 76ers so scary is when you got Simmons and then Thibel out there or or even Danny Green to some extent, like they have a lot of, of flexibility and, and ability to just defend the perimeter and really scare. Like they're kind of bullying these guys out of the ball a lot of the time. And, I mean, he, he is a very important orchestrating that. And, 
of course, what happens when you turn the ball over is just what I explained. Like you got Simmons in full court, one of the smartest players in the league with shooters around him. So it just, he really does make everything click perfectly on both sides of the ball. And again, having, having the talent they have now around him, like getting Seth Curry there was huge and, and turning Tobias into the player they've been, or he's been, has been really important too. So yeah, I mean, it's, there's definitely a huge line in the sand of the 76 with Simmons and without Simmons. All right. So here's a, here's a question for you. Okay. Cause I, 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 we've been doing this with the trade deadline additions sporadically throughout the um, power hours. And I, I feel like I need to ask, how have you liked George Hill so far in Philadelphia? I mean, he's been fine. Like I, I don't know what to expect out of George Hill anymore. Like he was a little bit underwhelming in Milwaukee. Like he just, he has his moments and then he doesn't like, I, I don't know. I, I think in the, in the playoffs, he'll probably be fine. Like, I think it was a good trade for them. He's he's uh like on paper he's a good fit. It's just I feel like George Hill is always a little bit worse than you want him to be. So that that's kind of how I feel about him right now. That's fair. That's fair. I just felt like you know it it was a dereliction of my podcast host duties to not ask you. Um, <laughs> I think let's go ahead and move on to our next big picture question to awkward psych. Segway awkwardly. Ah, Mike, talk today. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> which team needs the number one seed more in the East? Brooklyn, Philly, or Milwaukee? Because those two, those three teams are the top three in the East right now. And whichever one of those doesn't finish first has to play the other two. So if Philly finishes first, Brooklyn and Milwaukee will play in the second round. If Milwaukee finishes first, Brooklyn and Philly will play in the second round, which the league I'm sure does not want. So Dylan, um, which team needs the number one seat the most, do you think? I think it's Philly because it's 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 an experience thing. I think when you have when you have the least amount of experience, you need to be home the most often. Like that's that's I mean, the team you play in the second round is definitely important, obviously. But I'm thinking about like the conference finals, right? And if if Philly is home. And here, so what I first looked at was road record because Philly was awful on the road last year. And I was kind of wondering if it was the same this year. And it's not like those three teams, they're damn near the same team. Like they're not that different in regards of record home or away. They're not that different. Um, So that wasn't that big of a deal, but like, I'm just thinking like, look at the nets. Okay. Those guys have done so much in their career. It doesn't matter where the fuck they play. You could put them in Taiwan. You could put them in Indonesia. Like they're going to win basketball games. Okay. And, and the Bucks too. Like they, the Bucks have not won a big series yet, really. But those guys have been in the playoffs for so long. And I think Drew Holiday is even going to boost that because Drew Holiday actually hasn't made the playoffs as much as you would think just because all those New Orleans years. I, th- I mean, I'm pretty sure they made the playoffs once with <laughs> with Drew Holiday there. So there's not a ton of experience there. Twice, yeah. Yeah, okay. twice. So, but still, he was there for a long time. So, like, they they were pretty underwhelming even with him. But but look at the times he was there, he was in the playoffs. Like, he shut the hell out of uh, Damian Lillard down. Like, Damian Lillard has never been shut down like he's been shut down by Drew Holiday. 
And that's just the type of player that Drew Holiday is. So whether he has play a ton of playoff experience or not, like we know he's going to show up. Um, so I don't, I don't worry about them either. Um, but Philly, I think their best shot of, of making the finals or the, even just the East finals is, is if they're the first seed and they can have that little home court advantage. So right now, Philadelphia is a game back of Brooklyn and the remaining (laughs) schedule for the Sixers, they might be able to pull off a 10 game winning streak. So they got Atlanta tomorrow or when this is coming out, they got, they got the Spurs, the Bulls, the Rockets, the Pelicans, the Pistons, the Pacers, the Heat, and then they close the season with the Magic twice. (laughs) So I mean, at worst case scenario, you're going nine and one in that stretch. Absolute worst case scenario. And Brooklyn's schedule is pretty easy, too, from what I can remember. I think they play Denver. I know they play Denver at some point. So that might be a little bit of a toss up depending on their star's health. But Brooklyn's also 24 and eight versus teams over 500. So the strength of schedule doesn't really apply to them. But the Sixers might close the season on a 10 game winning streak. <laughs> But I, I think that they do need the one seed the most. And then you're right about Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Their, their experience, you know, even though Milwaukee's has mostly been bad experience, they have made conference finals before. And Drew Holiday has shut down. Like, Drew Holiday shut down Damian Lillard. And Kyrie now might be better than Damian Lillard in 2018, as crazy as it is to say, or whenever they played. But I think that, Drew and Kyrie, that's going to be a hell of a matchup to watch. Like, that might be the matchup of the playoffs, like, just in terms of, like, one-on-one matchups. And I think that those two teams will be fine. But the other thing is, you're basically walking to the Eastern Conference Finals if you get the four, if you get the first seed, because these are your options right now. Your options are either Atlanta or New York. And Boston might pass them, sure. But with the way Boston's been playing this year, I would say Boston's probably going to stay in sixth place. Right. And with the way New York's been playing, New York has been out of their goddamn minds. I'm happy for him. You know, I'm really, I'm really glad for the Knicks. But the Knicks or the Hawks aren't the same level, anywhere close to the same level as the 76ers and the Bucks. It's, it's just not even a conversation. Like, it's insulting, frankly, to the sense, like, to the sensibilities to compare those two teams to the top three. Like, it's very clear to find top three and the team that doesn't have to play the other two will have a, a market advantage. I'll say, because I mean, maybe I don't know because Philly does have a lot of good vets, but I, I just, I can't help but feel like they're the team that needs it the most. Are you telling me that RJ Barrett is not Robin to Julius Randall's Batman, Alex? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Are we sure Julius Randall is Batman? <laughs> I think Tom Thibodeau is Batman. Tom Thibodeau is a, a, a magician, but I've seen this movie too many times, Dylan Hughes. All right. You know, my favorite team growing up was coached by Tom Thibodeau. What happens every single time they play hard in the regular season? Oh, this team has so much heart and grit. They're surely going to make it to the conference finals because just how much heart and grit they play with the playoffs come. Everyone plays with the same level of heart and grit. They lose in the first or second round. I've seen this movie too many times. And I, I just know that, it's not going to, it's not going to be any different this time around. They are that talented. They're doing a great Tibbs is doing Tibbs is the coach of the year by far. Like, I, I don't think it's really close. Like the, the Knicks are probably the least talented team in the league <laughs> and they're 
35 and 28. Good on you, Tibbs, but you're going to lose in the second round. So that's, that's what I have to say. Well, you can say all you want about Drew Holiday versus Kyrie Irving. I want to see Joel Embiid versus Julius Randle. That is what I'm dying for. Hey, man, you know, anytime you can watch, uh, you're excited to watch teams shut down Julius Randle in the playoffs, aren't you? Admit it, Dylan Hughes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It Listen, first of all, are we sure Capella won't shut him down? Like, I don't know. He might. He might. He might. It's always a possibility. Are we sure John Collins won't shut him down? Well, that one I don't know about. Like, I, I, a lot of Randall's success is just being bigger than the guy guarding him. Um, and in that case, it would be kind of the same or, ordeal. But uh, maybe maybe Thibodeau would do as much as he can to get Randall away from those bigger guys. Um, so so we'll see. I mean, they've, they've figured something out this year, obviously. Second J.R. Smith reference. He'll uh, have... He'll have Randall do the J.R. Smith screen to force the switch. Remember the J.R. Smith screen where he basically would just hug the guy that was guarding LeBron to get <laughs> Steph to switch on to, on to LeBron? That's, that's basically what he's going to have Randall be doing. He's just going to be hugging, you know, <laughs> Trey Young and say, and get him in the post. So, I mean, I the 76ers, Knicks, I mean, that would be at most a five-game series. I, I can't see it going any farther than that because Grit only gets you so far. And I mean, Simmons on Randall would be <laughs> absolutely devastating for Julius. Like, he's been really good this year. I got, he's he's going to make All-NBA, and he's going to deserve it. I can't believe I'm saying that. I thought he would fall off at some point. He is going to make All-NBA. He's going to deserve it. But Ben Simmons is going to eat him for lunch, and then Ash is going to be that. So, or Ben Simmons... I mean, if they play the Nets, he'll get his points, but he's not going <laughs> to, they're not going to outscore the, the Nets. Nick's Nets will be a four game series because the Nets will just absolutely destroy him. But we did not plan to talk about the, the, the Knicks this much, but I think it's an interesting discussion. I really want to see the, this team in the playoffs. And I, it will lead me to my next question. Do you think that Tobias and Ben can sustain this in the playoffs? And I know Ben isn't even putting up amazing offensive numbers. We've seen time and time again in the playoffs, Ben Simmons is just relegated to the dunker spot. And we've seen time and time again in the playoffs, Tobias Harris turns into a pumpkin every time he's in the playoffs. So Dylan, will things be different this time around for either, like just either of those two guys? I'm leaning towards no, because like, let's just start off with Tobias. Okay. The reason he's looked a lot better this year is because he's basically running their bench unit. So not only is he having the ball in his hands more, but he's facing bench guys. And the problem last year was he was relegated to basically being a spot-up shooter. And for some reason, for like the first half of the year, he couldn't make threes. So the one thing they wanted him to do, he couldn't do. And so, hey, we just paid you for five years, you know, 30 million plus, and you can't even do one thing right. So, you know, you bring Doc in and, and it, it seems like it's fixed. Because, listen, like, if you look at Tobias, when he really started popping off, he was in, in the he was on the Clippers as their best player or their tied for best player with Gallo. And he was able to do his own thing, right? And, and it was good enough to get the eighth seed, you know, and compete for the playoffs the other year. But, you know, that, that's not, that's not a, you know, it's, it's good, not great. And now... He's at best their third option unless he's running the bench unit. But in the playoffs, we know bench units don't really exist. It's 
it's like, oh, we're going to swap two guys out. And then that's basically it. Like you, you don't really have a full blown bench unit. So I don't know if Tobias is necessarily going to get worse. He's just not going to be utilized in the same way. And I guess in some ways that is worse because again, he, he can be a good spot up shooter, but I think he's better with the ball in his hands. Um, and then as far as Ben goes, I mean, yeah, like we've seen this story before. He he's much better than he was two years ago. Um, but you know what? Two years ago, they were pretty close to beating the the champions. So and and I don't remember off the top of my head how good Simmons even was in that series. But again, it just goes a lot down to matchups. Like if if they play a team that is able to box Simmons in and and kind of force the other guys to do other things, then then it's going to be tough. We'll see. Um, but if they get the first seed, they're not going to really have an issue with that until the the East Finals anyway, because like we just talked about, you know, you're well, like who would they play in the first round? Like the Wizards, maybe. <laughs> right <laughs> you know, now they'd play the winner of the playing game. So the yeah. first playing game. So like Miami would be who they played basically. Okay. So yeah, see, that's a tough challenge right off the bat. And that but that would be tougher than their second round challenges we just talked about it's going to be Atlanta or the Knicks. And even if Simmons, you could have Simmons fucking be a cheerleader for that series and they'd be fine. So, um, yeah, I mean, my, see Miami is the type of team you're scared of because, because of what we saw last year, they, they just took Giannis out of it for when he was healthy and they scorched that, that Bucks defense that we were so, you know, we talked so much about all year. Um, and like when you have Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo on the same team, it's it's tough to to operate. And I think Jimmy even has an advantage considering he played with those guys for a year. Like he he's going to have a little bit of inside information about how to defend. So Miami would be a very very tough matchup. But if they could get past that, you're not going to really have to worry about until the West or the East Finals. And then it would be tough. But like either way, he's going to be incredibly important defensively. So it's not like he's going to be completely useless, but I mean, the offensive questions have definitely not gone away. All right. So I pulled out the 2019 Eastern conference semifinals, my favorite series of all time, bar none. So, okay. So the leading scorer, Jimmy Butler, 22, seven and five on 44% field goals, right? Pretty good. Pretty good. Joel Embiid. Now there is no Marcus Gasol on any of these teams. None of these guys are as good as Marcus on the Eastern Conference, but like even two years ago. However, Joel Embiid, 37% from the field, 17 and a half points a game. Ben Simmons, 11 points a game. And Tobias Harris, 14 points a game. And he did grab nine rebounds, but and he had four assists a game, which is pretty good, I'll say, but it's not enough. <laughs> Obviously, it wasn't enough. They were down to the wire. But man, like those guys need to all be better than that. And I know the Raptors that year, you could make an argument that they're one of the best defensive teams of the last decade. But I think that all those guys, like that's what you could do against Ben Simmons, right? Make him an 11 point a game score. And if you do that, you're basically taking him out of the series because then he doesn't have the ball in his hands because he's relegated to the dunker spot. And I think I'm ready to unveil this take. Simmons should just, Buck up and play center. There's no reason not to. He's basically a center, like in terms of body. 
and you could like a four or five. He should be a four or five, and it might be time for him to change teams. I know we have this conversation every year. He needs to play the power forward. And if you play power forward, you run pick and roll, you make you create that way, right? And then you're more impactful because you're attacking the rim more naturally. But you know, that's just that's just my two cents. But I think that they can neutralize. I think teams can neutralize Ben and Tobias personally. Well, hey, this seems like a quick a quick fix. You just make Tobias the point guard and Ben Simmons the power forward. <laughs> Because then you get Tobias on ball, uh, who, you know, again, like he's not a great, great at running the pick and roll. Like he just kind of is good at getting his own shot. But hey, maybe maybe Doc uh, gets a little spicy and figures that out. Who knows? Who knows? But I'm um, speaking of centers. Let's just go ahead and transition to our last <laughs> our last big picture question. So. We're going to go ahead and we're, we already talked about cat, but we're going to talk rank these three centers as offensive hubs on playoff teams. And it's just Jokic and beat and cat. And I'm, I'm curious to see which direction you go with this. Well, first of all, Jokic by like 50 miles at first, right? Right. Not even a question. And, uh, and yeah, it's, we've seen it with Jokic. We've talked about him at length. He's and you know actually I was thinking about this earlier and I'm I, I want to ask you so how good of odds do you think Jokic has of being like a top let's say top ten center all time by the end of his career that's tough it's hard because center is like traditionally such like a defensive oriented position like Akeem, like hell, Kareem, Shaq, like those guys weren't defensive aces of their whole careers, but at the beginning of their careers, they were defensive monsters. If he plays the way that he's been playing this year, like in the regular season for about five more years and wins a title, I'd say top 10. I'd say top 10 because so you have Akeem, Shaq, Wiltz, Russell. Those are the like top four. Most You have to throw Moses Malone in there too. So that's five right there. I don't see any reason why he could crack the top 10. It's, it's interesting conversation. I mean, like, look at the past 20 years. Okay. So outside of Shaq and Dwight Howard, and I'm considering Tim Duncan a four for the purpose of this, of this. Um, I, I mean, I think he's like, not the most, not the most decorated center, but as far as talent, I don't know. I think I might put him third in the past 20 years. And that's, and whether you include Anthony Davis or not, I still think I take Jokic. The real question is whether or not you include Tim Duncan. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously Duncan would be, and, but he, he played four basically until the last couple of years, you know? So, I mean, obviously he played minutes at the five. But he was considered a four for so long. I just, I don't know. It's, it's obviously one that's kind of up for debate. But I mean, Tim Duncan's like top five all time, no matter what position you're talking about. So obviously he would be third, but I'm just taking him out of it for the sake of discussion. I could see. So, okay. So I pulled up ESPN's top 10 list of centers all time. So they have Bill Walton, 10 and George Mike in nine. I would say he's already better than both of those guys. Yeah, I know Walton, you know, transcendent guy on offense and defense, but he was only good for two years. And Jokic is on offense doing 10 times what Walton did. Now, Patrick Ewing, this is where the conversation gets interesting. 
Mm. I Patrick Ewing, very underrated player. Go back and watch any of his games. That man was ridiculously good and in a modern offensive system would average five assists a game. Like, very talented. I would say if they have Patrick Ewing as the eighth center and Jokic is a little worse than that, top 10 is completely plausible to me. Because, like... I'm not saying that it's completely different skill sets, but like just, just overall skill wise, I would say those two are pretty comparable to each other. Okay. Like, what what are the next three? I would like, I want to make this a top five discussion. Now. Okay. David Robinson, <laughs> oh. Moses Malone, Akeem Olajuwon. Okay. So probably not, yeah. but Hey, he's got a long time still. Like, I don't know how old he is, but he's got, he could very well have 10 really good years left in it. Let me go ahead and read the rest of the list in case the listeners are curious. So we got Shaq four, Russell three, Chamberlain two, and then Kareem one. So I don't necessarily agree with the whole list, but it's just the baseline to work off of. Like if this is what people are saying, then I think Jokic could definitely crack that list. I don't think he'll be better than the Admiral. <laughs> like, no, yeah, that's tough. Go back and look at he had a 71 point game one time. <laughs> that was ridiculous. It, it's just funny. Like, not that I've ever heard the Spurs fans complain about anything, but having Robinson and then, oh, Robinson was hurt or whatever. And hey, we got Tim Duncan now. Like what? What the fuck? That's like, like as a Colts fan, I guess hindsight is twenty twenty, and like Luck is already retired. But that's kind of like going from Peyton Man and Andrew Luck. You know, it's like you have no right to complain about anything. That's very true. It's very true. So okay, and Beater Cat basically is now the question as offensive hubs. Yeah. So this this one is really tough for me. Like on the surface, I think it's easily Embiid. Um, but the thing is. I just, as we talked about earlier, I don't think Cat has had a fair shake because his teams have sucked. And I've said for years, if you if you swap Cat and Embiid, the Sixers' issues are basically gone because a lot of the Sixers' issues have been relating to space, right? And Embiid's a better shooter now. Like, he's shooting like 38% from three this year, so it's not as big of a deal. Um, but in the past, it's like your two best players can't shoot, right? If you just put Cat in that spot, who is an awesome shooter, then, you know, it's it's a different story. And obviously the defense would not be as good. But, like, I probably just want to say Embiid because, I mean, if you look at the Sixers this year, like, I don't want to say Embiid has carried them, but they have been riding on his back. Like, he he is – like, I, I don't want to say he's carried them. It's, it's unfair to the rest of the team, but he has by far been their best player. And – they have a chance of being the best team in the East because he's been this good. So I, ha- I feel like I have to say Embiid. Um, obviously, his overall players, he's definitely better. But offensively, like, I don't think this could be a, a tougher question like in a year or two when Cat has better teammates around him uh, because that dude is, is really talented. I think it's a fair conclusion. The only, really the only thing putting Embiid ahead of Cat for me right now it's just the free throw attempts. That man is at getting to the line 11 times a game right now and hitting 85% of them. Crazy shit. <laughs> so I'd say that's what gives him the edge. Like he's been playing, like he's getting a hardened bag of tricks, man. <laughs> like he can play. I feel like 
Joel complained about Harden's flopping in the past. I can't remember because Joel talks a lot. Not anymore, but he used to talk a whole lot. But 11 foul attempts. And I think that, like, push comes to shove. It's closer, I think, than you would say between him and Jokic, just because of the foul attempts. Like, Jokic doesn't get to the foul line. Like, he needs to learn to get to the foul line. And I, I still would have Jokic on offense ahead of Embiid. But and I, I still have him as a player overall just because of the way he can lift a team. But I think that Embiid's ability to get to the foul line unabated and make a good only miss 15% of his foul shots. I think that's a really good deal valuable to an offense. I mean, yeah, free throws are free money, man. Like, that's why they call them free throws. Look at Harden. Mm-hmm. Like a, a huge part of how he's been able to be an MVP can for the past five years is because of those free throws. So, and, and I think it's a huge part of Jimmy Butler's game too, why he's been so successful. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely a fair point. And like, as a big man down low, you have to get fouled. Like it, it's just, it's almost a requirement and, and, you know, Jokic isn't down low that often. So it's, it is a it's not a completely fair comparison. Like he's never gonna get to eleven, you know. But even getting within a few would be uh game changing for sure. If he could get I think he's at six right now. If he could get to eight a game, I think Jokic that makes I think Kat's at six too. Let me I let me pull up Jokic's number real quick. I think then that'll be a good point to close the pot on. But Embiid getting to the foul line, I think is like against the Celtics, I'm pretty sure he had twenty free throw attempts in the game. Yo oh I was I sh- I gave Jokic too many free throws. He's getting the line five times a game. So if he could bump that up to like eight or nine, I think it'd benefit the Nuggets offense a lot more greatly because he like Jokic is one of those guys where he gets open to make shots and he makes a lot of them, but you need to slow the game down sometimes too. And I think that he doesn't get a lot of calls. I think that Jokic probably should get more calls, but I th- we don't need to have this discussion right now because I think we've gone a little longer than we wanted to. So plug time, plug time. All right. From one young soul to another. I debuted this right on Circle City Cinema, Dylan, and I hope you like it. So listen, $7.50 to buy a physical copy of the book, $5 to get it on the Kindle. Okay. You know, it's worth $7.50. Me not going into your house and stealing all your board and card games. You want to play Monopoly with your family? Fuck you. You can't. You didn't buy the book. You know, you want to play, you want to play poker, blackjack? Fuck you. You know, take the chips too. You know, you, I'm not going to make it, I'm going to make it where you can't gamble. So fuck you, buy the book. That's all I have to say. Helen, how'd I do? I really need, you want to play Monopoly with your family? Fuck you. I need that printed on a, a shirt. A bumper sticker. <laughs> no, I, I need that printed on everything I own. Have it printed. Like, you know, the reviews they have on the back of the book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I need a, a testimonial or whatever. Alex Burr, you want to play Monopoly with your family? Fuck you. That's the testimonial. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, <laughs> Divine rhyme, Dylan. Really two two heaters of episodes this week. I'm not saying the other episodes are bad, but I think you know, new podcast, it gets better as it goes along. These were your these were your guys' best two episodes, I'd say. You know, I, I got a uh, a text from Caleb Lynn, who by the way, the introduction of our podcast via Caleb Lynn, unbelievable. I mean, a music podcast with culture, what a fucking what a fucking way to introduce you, you know? 
every time I hear it, I, I just get a little bit uh, a little bit of a chill. But Caleb Lynn says that this that the four year eyes only was a top five Dylan Hughes uh, network appearance, which I mean, there's been a lot of appearances for me. So top five, that's that's pretty high up there. So if uh, you know, if if you need something to push you to that pod, I mean, Caleb Lynn knows best. So that I think that's it right there. And there was also the KOD one. So make sure you go check that out. And also that came out yesterday because we're recording this on Thursday and technically it's today, but I have to feel like, you know, I, I have to create the illusion that we're recording the day of um, triple option pass at the mock draft. Obviously the first round of the draft will be over, but you can compare by the time this episode comes out, you'll be able to compare um, the guys' first round picks to what actually happened. So, you know, hopefully, um, hopefully whack Jones is like, I like to call him doesn't get selected by the 49ers. So, and then I'll, I'll shoot through the rest of these battleground. Will Hogsett was on last week. Go check that out. It was a fun episode. Lynn Sanity's back. They recapped the NFL off season. Um, circle city cinema, Zach Griffith and I re- finished the Marvel series, uh, Falcon and the winter soldier. Make sure you go check that out. That was a lot of fun. And then he'll be back with Oscars review this week. Um, and then Dylan Hughes will be on for parasite. So make sure you go check that out. And then Bryce and I will be drafting um, our best picture for the last 30 years. So that, that should be fun. You know, I'll, I'll watch, but I was going to watch Parasite anyway, since you're doing the pod on it, Dylan, but I, I'm definitely going to have to watch it now so I can try to steal it from Zach. He's going to listen to this. So now he knows that it's high on my board, a little bit of a subterfuge. <laughs> and then I think that's everything. So Dylan, once again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you.